Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And on today's show, I am delighted to have with me Chuck Reeves, who is uh, a really great expert on sales, which I know that uh, CEOs out there, of course, are always interested in how to make more money. And he's also in the Speaker for Hall of Fame, and he's a great friend and mentor. And I'm delighted to have you on the show. Good morning. So good to see you again. So as always, we start the show off by asking our CEOs and their advisors about what are the trends in 2016 that they think CEOs need to know about especially to grow their businesses. So, Chuck, what do, you, what do you have for us in terms of sales this year? 2016 is going to be a pivotal year in sales. 2016 is going to be a pivotal year for sales. There's been more change in the world of sales in the last, let's say, eight or nine months than there has been in the last 20 years. And what companies especially mid-market companies, do in the first nine months of 2016 is going to determine their future. We know right now that more companies are dissolving than are being started. So we look at the economic climate. We look at the population. We look globally at what's happening. And what we find is this is a critical time for sales. It's very important, especially for mid-market companies, but also for the Fortune 500, that they begin right now growing their business, and they must grow it in two channels, horizontal and vertical. Horizontal growth means we go out and find more clients. Vertical growth means we sell more to our existing customers. Vertical growth is usually more profitable. What does it cost you to upsell a customer? There's no customer acquisition cost. The sales cycle is going to be shorter. So we need to look for what else we could be doing for our existing customers. That's critical. At the same time, many buyers are going to become orphans as their suppliers either go away or become less viable. So what is your account plan? And this begins with the CEO. What is your sales plan? And this begins with the CEO. What is your direction for your salespeople going forward in 2016? It's going to be a very interesting year. Now, why are more companies dissolving? There's a number of reasons, and depending on uh, whatever your agenda is, you can blame whatever you want to, healthcare, taxes, um, other factors. We know that right now, Oil and gas is going down because of price per barrel. It, gas is cheaper than milk right now, or oil is cheaper than milk. <laughs> so those industries, this is only a trend. This is not a fad. This is something that's going to continue for a while. Then it will come back up. So we look at various industry segments. We look at various geographies, and we see that they are no longer viable. They can't stay in business for a multitude of reasons. What we want to do now is to figure out what's going on with them is one thing. What's going on with us is critical, mission critical. How will we capitalize on the changes in the marketplace, and then how do we direct our sales uh, equity, our sales capital in the right directions to make sure we're getting more than our share of the market. So how are you advising your clients to answer those questions? Interesting question. 
first of all, every customer is different. I wish I had a set of five rules, five things you can do to increase your sales, and they simply don't exist. I worked with a company last week in Cincinnati, started off as a family business, a few years ago was sold to a European company. So now you have the European influence and a family-based business. They are phenomenal. It just absolutely blew me away. And they sell restaurant supply. How do you differentiate your stainless steel serving spoon from somebody else's stainless steel serving spoon? And they charge more than anybody else in the industry. They are growing. They're sitting at above 300 million right now. And they're going to the next level all with customer service. So with them in their industry, what we wanted to do is take customer service to the next level. Another thing we wanted to look at is how sophisticated is their sales effort? How sophisticated are they in doing pre-call planning, qualifying and quantifying the customer's issue, qualifying and quantifying their cost justification? They were so far down the road. It was absolutely amazing. They go to the client's website long before they make the sales call. They come up with interesting questions and comments, and then they go in and continue to probe. There are seven levels of value-added selling. Most companies that I work with are between levels three and five. These people were at six. It was so much fun to take them to the next level. Mm -hmm. For those uh, listeners who may not be familiar with your framework. You want to just let us know what those seven levels are? It would take too much time to explain it, but in the lower levels, we learn how to overcome the price objection, level one, with techniques. If I could, would you? Feel, felt, found, all that stuff that we were taught in sales school. In level two, we overcome or we overcome the price objection using principles. You see, if I try to sell like you, I will fail. If you try to sell like me, you will fail. But using the same principles, we can both be successful. So we start looking at principles. Levels one and two is overcoming the price objection. Levels three and four are all about eliminating the price objection. What would it be worth to you to never hear the price objection again? And then we go to level five. We start looking at supply chain selling. I don't sell to anybody. I sell through them. Who is my customer's customer? What can I do to go to the next level of sales with my customer? See, nobody wants what we're selling. They want what they think it will do for them right now. So we sell through. That's supply chain selling. Level six is executive level selling. How do I find the key issues inside my client's organization at the executive level, your listener level? How do I go to them and figure out what's most important to them? If you have a CEO who doesn't have sales experience, maybe they grew up in finance, so they know how to manage the numbers. And the salespeople come to them and say, our price is too high, our product mix is wrong, our competition is superior. Do they know how to address that? Well, no, that's not their area of expertise, and it's not their level of experience. So we learn how to sell to the executive level. What is important to them? And then level seven is Kaizen for sales, using the principles of lean to go into the sales organization and make sales happen better, faster, and at a lower cost. Hmm. And you said that most companies are kind of between a two and a three? 
between a, a three and a five, most of them understand uh, I need to eliminate the price objection because I can't overcome it. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have a microphone in front of you. I have a microphone in front of me. Somebody in this organization bought some microphones. You can buy lower price microphones. So if I'm not an audio engineer, if I don't know the difference, I'll say, well, price is everything. Someone has to be able to come in and say, no, price is not everything. Audio quality is everything. Right. And a couple questions just about as people think about selling and and building their plan for the year. I've been hearing a lot about how uh, the digital revolution has changed selling um, in that now, as salespeople selling anything, when we go to our buyers, in many cases, they may know, know more about us than we know about them, and they're very progressed in the sales cycle. What are you finding in terms of uh, how you can, how, how we can use that to our advantage or how uh, that's changing your work with your customers? It's revolutionary. It is absolutely amazing what technology is doing to sales. I grew up in an era where the mantra was, you can't replace the face-to-face. If you want to sell the customer, you got to be eyeball-to-eyeball and do all of your stuff. I still have salespeople tell me they open a sales call with a bag of donuts. Now, in a diminishing number of circumstances, that will still work. In an increasing number of circumstances, it will have you ejected from the customer's office. There are three primary movers of sales change right now. Demographics, process, and technology. Technology comes third because first I have to look at demographics. Who is my buyer going to be? If I look across the table and I'm selling to a millennial, I don't need to be there. They don't want interaction, personal interaction, they would prefer electronic interaction. One question about that that's baffled me a little bit is I've always heard that sales is a motive, right? Like you have to get people emotionally hooked some kind of way in order to make a sale. How does that happen as effectively through technology when you're not face-to-face with people, you can't read body language, you can't get them juiced up about whatever it is that you're trying to sell them? I've never had an interviewer try to get all of my trade secrets before, but because I love you, we'll, we'll look at some of this. <laughs> Viewers, you'll, you can thank me later. Or yeah, listeners, you can thank, <laughs> listeners, you can thank me later. Okay, here's the secret. You ready for this? Yes. Quantum physics. Oh, no. That's how sophisticated sales has become. Now, how do I get you excited if I can't be face-to-face If I'm not doing all of the right things in front of you, I'm not giving you the bag of donuts that you've traditionally gotten. Mm -hmm. Well, without giving away too much, here's how we do it. We start looking at our e-communication. We know that millennials would rather communicate with their thumbs than their lips. So I need to find a way to get into their world electronically differently so there's a differentiation and more excitedly than my competitors. We can use a bass line of music. And when we use a bass line of music, what we pay attention to is frequency. What are the frequencies of the music? What range, what band is that? It's not too high. It's 
tends to be lower. You lost and, me. How does the music come into the sales process? I can't give you that. Okay. But it will make a difference. Watch a TV commercial tonight. In fact, do you have a television? I think you're so sophisticated you probably don't. But watch TV like the rest of us peons <laughs> do from time to time. And what you I will, have Hulu. <laughs> oh, that'll do just as well. If you watch TV commercials, listen to the background music. There are precious few commercials on television that do not have background music. And the reason is they're trying to appeal to both sides of the brain. The music goes to the creative side. The message goes to the logical side. So as salespeople, we have to do that now. In my training, I do a lot of e-learning. I do a lot of online training. Most of my corporate clients, of corporate 500, Fortune 500, will not allow me to embed music. It's against corporate policy. For the others, they want to be very selective in what music bed we're putting under the message. If there was music playing right now and it had a fairly fast tempo, your heartbeat would increase. If it had a very slow, you'd be tuning me out and thinking about something else. So we have to appeal to both sides of the brain. The easiest way to do that is with E. So we have demographics. Who's the person on the other side of the table? If it's a millennial, I need to do my primary communication with them electronically. They may begrudge me and allow me to show up to sign a contract. Then there's process. Based on the demographic, what process will I use? And based on the seven levels of value-added selling, which is the appropriate process there? Then we use DISC or Myers-Briggs to understand the customer's behavioral style. Now we know what technology to use. I've closed sales by sending the customer a tablet. You know, these electronic things that you young people like to use. Okay, so I send them a tablet. It's still in the manufacturer's packaging. Maybe the CEO is going to open it. Probably not. Some underling is going to open it, power it up. And when it comes on, there's only one icon on the home screen. What's the icon? I've I've had this conversation with you before, so I won't I won't spoil it. It's the client's logo. Of course, they're going to touch their logo. Sometimes it's a client's picture. Sometimes it's a video of the client. So they touch it. I start talking directly to them. So for a high-tech company where the CEO is under 40, that will work. For a Fortune 500 where the CEO is over 60, it probably won't work. So what technology do I use? An idea I got from a salesperson recently. He tried to get in to see Mr. Big. He was having absolutely no luck. He did his research and found in an interview in a magazine somewhere that he preferred Alan Edmonds shoes. He got his assistant to tell him what size shoe the CEO wore, went to Nordstrom's, bought a pair of Allen Edmonds shoes in his size, and sent him one of them. You want the other shoe? I'll bring it. The man was so impressed that he let a young man come in and do a sales pitch. So what technology will you use? We have shipped a mailbox to a CEO and gotten into his office. We've sent the tablets. We've sent a number of other things. What technology is appropriate for the other individual on the other side of the table. It sounds to me like across all these different uh, technologies and processes that the that being clever still works in, sta- in sales and being innovative. Is that is that true? Do boring movies sell? 
So we got to be clever. What is the typical daily experience of the person in the culture you're trying to sell to? Let's say it's North America versus Germany versus South America. You want to find out what they're experiencing on an ongoing basis, and then you either have to meet that or exceed that. So, yeah, you and I love creativity. We like it when somebody's doing something different. There are other cultures who say if they're creative, they're fickle, they're tricksy, they're snake oil salesmen or something like that. Mm. Just to shift gears a little bit, one of the things that I've been um, following is the number of economists are predicting that there's going to be some sort of economic slowdown in 2018. Um, times are good now. Mm-hmm. Um, we both talked about having great years in 2015. Um how, and of course, this depends on the sales cycle of the company, but in 2016, do you think it's time for CEOs to be thinking about the economic slowdown? And if so, like, what is the framework or what context would you put it in? I don't know if I mentioned this earlier or not, but 2016 is going to be a pivotal year for sales. <laughs> if a CEO is not thinking about how to change their sales model, it may be too late. It's not, are we going to change? It's how are we going to change our sales model in 2016 to horizontally, let's gather in as many accounts as we can right now. Vertically, let's see what else we could be doing for these accounts and grow our business. The economists that I'm following are saying it will happen before 2018, that we're going to start seeing the slowdown later this year. I'm a sales guy. I don't do numbers. My greatest weakness is numbers, so I depend on other people. If a salesperson designed an expense report, how many boxes would it have? (laughs) Two, name total. This is all you need to know. I spent some money. Pay me back. So I depend on others. If worst case scenario is the slowdown starts in fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. If best case scenario is it starts at the end of 17 going into 18, It doesn't change a thing. We need to start accelerating our sales efforts right now. And the key word here is accelerate. Everything about sales needs to be sped up. We've got to do everything in sales faster. How do we shorten our sales cycle? How do we make the sales call happen faster? How do we deliver to our customers faster? There was a gentleman years ago named Fred Smith. You know his story. He's in college and he turns in his term paper on how to do overnight delivery by flying everything to Memphis and then sending it back out again. The professor gave him less than a stellar grade. That will never work. Well, we know FedEx now is a force to be reckoned with. It's already put his number one competitor out of the domestic market. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty strong story. So we think, wow, next day delivery. I go to Amazon. I'm Amazon Prime. And I want to do the one click, don't I? And then I want to have this little message come up and say, it will be there tomorrow. But you know what? Dang it. I got to wait till tomorrow. So now they're looking at drones. How do we deliver faster? The way we accelerate our sales process is to focus on how do we serve the customer better, faster, lower cost. Better, faster, lower cost. One of the things that maybe I'm confused uh, because I'm not the sales maven um, is... I don't understand how that's different in 2016 because we always needed to expand horizontally and expand, you know, and deepen vertically, right? We we always need to do that. We always needed to um, serve customers better, cheaper, faster. So how is that different this year? 
The difference is the sense of urgency. I know I need to eat right. I need to eat better. Do I? I know I need to work out more. So I'll go to the gym, gosh, every six or eight months, whether I need to or not. (laughs) So knowing that we need to be doing it and then having a sense of urgency, a compelling reason for getting involved in it are two completely different things. Isn't it amazing how we respond differently in a crisis? The river is rising. We need to fill sandbags. If you've ever filled sandbags, you know what a nasty job it is. You'll have sand in your eyes and ears for two days. So newsreel goes out and they're filming all the teenagers filling sandbags early in the morning. Okay, once the crisis has passed, try to get the teenager out of bed before lunch. Crisis brings out the best in us. Now, I teach what I call the artificial crisis. If you know the crisis is coming, what will you do? Well, let's imagine for a moment that that is coming. So how will we ramp up? How will we take care of that? And we get more creative. I hear pushback from some CEOs say, well, that's desperation strategy. Cool. Einstein supposedly said, if I always do what I've always done, I'll get something different. What he actually said was, Today's solutions or today's thinking will not solve today's problems. Today's thinking created today's problems. So first we have to think differently. There's the crisis. What do we want to achieve? How much time do we want to achieve it in? And then uh, we have to figure out how we're going to think differently. Henry Ford and Thomas Edison were good friends. They were a part of a group called um, Unusual Friends or something like that. And they would meet regularly. Ford was in Edison's office, and one of Edison's engineers came in and explained thoroughly why a flat disc would not be suitable for audio playback. They were using the cylinder at that time. And after this long explanation, Edison said, build it anyway. Years later, Ford was in his office. One of his engineers came in and said, we cannot build a shiftless transmission, an automatic Uh transmission, and explained all the reasons why. What did Ford say? Build it anyway. The top two remembering popular lines from Apollo 13 are, Houston, we have a problem. Okay, so let's acknowledge we got a problem. And what was the second one? Failure is not an option. Here we have this capsule spinning around in an orbit above the Earth. The, it's had a catastrophic failure. Now we have to build a new air handling system using only the available parts and tools on that capsule. I'm not an engineer. I would have to throw my hands up in the air and say it can't be done. And they came back several times and said it couldn't be done. But mission commanders said you got to do it. CEOs today are mission commanders. Do it anyway. Find a way to make it happen. And when you raise the bar for salespeople, we're salespeople after all. The first sale we try to make is to move the bar back down where it was. And when that doesn't happen, we want to jump over the bar higher than anybody else. Salespeople are very competitive. So if we say this year we did 310 million, next year we're going to do 340 million. In a declining market, what do most of the salespeople say? Uh-uh. Uh-uh, can't be done. My customers are closing outlets. Competition's got a better product price, whatever. Once they see it's locked in, they won't do 340. They'll do 360. Hmm. So do you think that, that's, that the 
this economic shift that's coming is really a crisis? Is that how you would characterize it? You know, I don't know because, again, numbers are not my thing. But what I am seeing is we're already seeing a decline in home values for luxury homes. We're seeing a decline in some luxury merchandise. So they're tending to advertise more now. So for mid-market, for homes like mine, homes like yours, I think we're going to be just fine. They won't appreciate as much as they may have in the past, but they're not going to decline like we saw in 07 and 08. However, we need to start looking at when that happens, what happens to the psyche of the marketplace? What happens to the psyche of the marketplace? We need to hoard our dollars. We don't feel comfortable about what's happening with government, with what's happening with the economy, with what's happening overseas. And it's all about the psychology. As salespeople, we don't have to understand that to know that I can sit down with you and say, regardless of what's going on out there, here's how you can improve your business right now. Here's how you can make your customers more successful right now. And cut out the noise from the marketplace. If it goes up, great. If it goes down, we don't really care because all I'm focusing on is making my customers' business more successful by helping them make their customers' businesses more successful. So let's go back to the dissolving businesses and you know, some of the disruption that's happening uh, so in, in some of my research and in my work, I was led to believe that a lot of that disruption was happening with larger companies. And what so as you tease out this, you know, companies being disrupted, the dissolution, is it happening in any pockets or any specific industries or any se specific segments like size of companies that we should be paying attention to? You're much more knowledgeable on that than I am, and your listeners deserve to hear what you have to say about that because that is critically important. Again, I think it varies by industry and by geography. We look at certain industries being bellwethers. When they start going down, they're the, they're the early losers. Mm -hmm. For instance, professional speakers. One of my careers right mm -hmm. now is professional speaking. We Not that y'all couldn't tell. Uh, yeah, right. So we start looking at <laughs> why are the engagements slowing down? Why are the requests from speakers bureaus slowing down? Well, the, if you want to save some money, the easiest way to do that is not have your conference. If you do have your conference, make it a day shorter. If you do bring in a speaker, don't pay them. Find some vendor somewhere, some college professor or something, or have someone inside your organization do the speaking. So our industry gets hit first. And when we start seeing that decline, we know there's going to be declines in other areas. I thought you said you had a great year last year. You know, I've been at this for over 30 years, and 2015 was my best year ever. All best right. year yet. Not best year ever. Best year yet. It was phenomenal. So I'm doing just fine, but I'm talking to my buddies. And the reason I'm doing just fine is I don't do motivational talks, how to have a good day every day, how to feel better no matter what's going on. I go in and start looking at what are you doing to help your customer be more successful? Great, great. So uh, we'll come back with something on the the this, the dissolution and um, disruption because I think that's a, an important issue. And so, your listeners deserve the information right. that's between your ears. Right. So as we talk about this, um, the slowdown uh, and, you know, 
listeners may be hearing, okay, so it's, you know, 2016, maybe sometime in 2017, maybe 2018. What's the first thing that you think, um, like as an initial step, that you would counsel a CEO who's listening this to this to take to try to think about the urgency and begin to look at, you know, deepening, you know, expanding horizontally or vertically in terms of their sales? Okay, write this down. <clears throat> Excuse me. R minus E equals P. R minus E equals P. This is the entire curriculum from B school. Once you understand this, you can have an MBA. Revenue minus expense equals profit. We don't want revenue. We don't want to pay the bills. At the end of the day, we want profit. So using that formula, there are three ways to increase your profit. Raise the revenue, lower the expense, or both. So what I would recommend for CEOs, is it R or E that needs your immediate attention? Are there some ways you can reduce your internal costs? Are there some things you need to be doing? Can you use technology? Let's change that. How can you use technology to become more efficient and therefore more profitable? And then all I know is revenue generation. So how will you increase your revenue? There are two ways to do it. One is you can raise your prices. Maybe your volume goes down, but your revenue goes up. Or you can start looking at increasing the volume. So what I teach companies is how to raise your prices and your volume simultaneously. In order to do that, you must be able to create a qualified and quantified story. Qualified, here's all the ways I can help you. Quantified, here's what each of those ways represents for you. If I can shorten your sales cycle, you can make more sales calls because you can use the same sales force and they can be more effective, more efficient, more productive. I can help you reduce your sales cost. Maybe there's some things we're doing that we just don't realize. Now, you know my practice. I bring consultants into my business twice a year. They walk in and say, how's business? My response is, that's why you're here. I don't have a clue how's business because I'm jaded. I can only see it from my perspective. Well, consultative selling is just that. So the CEO should begin with their organization, where are the areas where we can cut expenses. And we're talking about cutting fat, not cutting meat, and certainly not nicking the bone. And then secondly, what are some ways that we could use to raise revenue? With that in mind, you start looking at each individual customer. What can I do for customer A? Can I help them raise the revenue? Can I help them lower their expenses? Or can I do both of that for them? And the more we concentrate on doing that for our customers, the more ideas we come up with for doing it for ourselves. Mm, that's really great. You said 2016 is going to be a pivotal year. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about some changing economics. Yep. Uh, any other reasons why 2016 in particular is going to be pivotal? Yeah, in 2014, if we can go back that far, I think the internet was still up at that time. Go back to 2014 to the Consumer Electronics Show. We saw some ideas in 2014 that we thought, man, that's going to impact sales. Some automation excuse me, with ERPs and CRMs and handheld devices and things like that. Then in 2015, I looked at the output from the uh, Consumer Electronics Show and said, man, these things are going to revolutionize sales in 2016. Guess what? Most of them are history. 
they were done before the fall. We're looking at how do we take technology to the next level. Taking it to the next level means better, faster, lower cost, meaning we don't necessarily invest in some new software package. We don't necessarily invest in some new devices. We start looking at more of a guerrilla approach. How do I take what I have right now and sell more effectively? So speed started in 2014. Customers are not liking are not looking for fast. They're demanding fast. If you can't deliver fast, we're not going to do business. Then I look at what some of my clients are doing with technology and the acceleration there. 2016 is going to be pivotal. All these things are coming together, process, demographics, and technology. So how do we capitalize on that? Is there a new demographic we need to be selling to? Or is there a new demographic we need to be hiring on our sales team. Don't ask me to sell to a millennial. We don't communicate. So maybe if millennials are our target market or a target industry is supported by millennials, I need some millennials, maybe some Gen Xers on staff that can communicate better with those people. Then who are the buyers going to be in 2017? The CEO is the corporate visionary. I believe every organization can have one visionary, one person who understands destination. This is why partnerships typically don't endure. Mr. Sears and Mr. Roebuck could not hold it together. Mr. Hewlett and Mr. Packard did because they clearly delineated the responsibilities. So if you have a partnership, whether it's fundamental or um, financial or whatever, you need to be wary that at some point the vision is going to split. So the corporate visionaries' vision, destination, should be three to five sales cycles. Three to five sales cycles. So from the time you find out there's a suspect out there, you got a business card at a trade show or something, until you bring the sale to closure, how much time is that? Multiply that by three or five, depending on industry and market and so forth. That's where you need to be thinking. When you and I boarded the last flight, the captain of the airplane was the visionary. Let's say we're coming home. The captain understood Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. So that's where they're going to go. We take off. There's weather. There's delays. There's all these issues. I've got 5 million miles with Delta, and not once has a captain ever come back to me and said, uh, Mr. Reeves, there's some weather up ahead, just wondering what you thought we ought to do. I don't want them asking me. I don't have the sense God gave a billy go when it comes to flying an airplane. So the visionary has to say, this is where we're going to be. Failure is not an option. This is where we have to be. Then, based on that, who are the buyers? What are they going to be looking for? What's the competition going to be up to? Don't ask salespeople to do that. You need a corporate visionary and a sales visionary. In mid-market companies, the CEO is the visionary. And they're also the, sales, the chief sales officer, as is explained in my book. In larger corporations, we're seeing an emergence of chief sales officers. This is not retitling your vice president of sales. It's putting a strategist on par with the CFO, the COO, the CIO to look at strategically how do we go to this destination that the CEO has put a flag in the future out there? How do we get to the end zone from here? Hmm. 
So as we talk about process, um, we talked a, a lot about demographics and some about technology. One of the things that I'm wondering if you've heard of or your thoughts on our uh, you know, like challenger selling, insight selling, which seems to be a fairly new trend. Is that something that you think is important or is how how is that affecting your the sales organizations that you're working with? Okay. <clears throat> All sales training is valuable. There's nothing that you can't pick up from sales training, no matter how long you've been selling. We forget stuff, we get into habits. So I look at these new programs that are coming out. Most of them are level three and four. Some of them are levels two and three, but most of them are levels three and four. I teach a sales process methodology that layers on top of programs like that. So once your salespeople know these concepts, what is the roadmap for taking them where you want them to go? So I don't teach, here's how you set an appointment. Here's words that you say and don't say. I give them a roadmap. And my system is called plush selling, P-L-U-S-M-H. The P is positioning. When a salesperson is going on a sales call, the first question their manager needs to ask them is, who are you going to be talking to? If they say purchasing agent, don't go. A purchasing agent uses three criteria to make a buying decision. Price, what are they? Price, price, and price. You got it. So why bother going out there? If you don't have the lowest price, they're not going to buy from you. If you do, they are. Don't go. Instead, who in the client's organization can appreciate the difference between cost and price? The only relationship that exists between cost and price is an inverse relationship. The item with the lowest price tag costs the most. I can't afford the low price stuff. So positioning, who are you going to be talking to? L, listen, based on your pre-call planning, what were your initial assumptions? How would you formulate your initial questions? And what are you going to ask the customer? If you're going to ask, you know, buy some of these, don't go. The customer's already got an answer for that. The opening question that a salesperson asks a customer has to be something about the customer the customer has never heard before. So in these other courses, they teach, here's how you ask questions, open-ended, forced choice, multiple choice. Here's how you do your pre-call planning. But then you want to come up with this opening question that changes the tone, the complexion of the sales call. The you is unique. What do you have that sets you apart that means anything to this customer right now? What do you have that sets you apart? And if you ask most salespeople, what differentiates your product or service? Sit down with a cup of coffee. They're going to give you about a 30-minute dissertation on why they're better than everybody else. How many of those things do you care about? One, maybe two? Let's find out what's important to them, be able to qualify it and quantify it. The S is the solution to the problem. Now, take a look at this for just a moment. P-L-U-S-N-H. Five principles behind a successful value-added sale. A successful value-added sale is when I don't compromise on my price. Solution selling is in there, but look where it is. Number four out of five. We don't start with solution selling. If I'm talking to the wrong person and I ask them what are their problems, what are they going to say? I'm spending too much for my stainless steel spoons. Okay, when the CEO of that company woke up that morning, that was not the first thing on his or her mind. What was? So positioning, listening, what have I ascertained from the customer? Why is it in their best interest? And then based on that, what unique capability do I have that would make sense for them? 
Now we get into the solution of the problem. The H is help, H-E-L-P. The most powerful word in the English language. The most powerful word in the English language. It will stop men in Armani suits on the streets of Manhattan when it's raining. December the 5th of last year, I tested it again, and it works. There's something about, for most people, there's something about human nature that says, at some point, I'm going to need some help. When you ask for help, let's do it. Now, when you and I talked about scheduling this interview, one of the last things you said was, thank you for helping me. So it it hits the heart. It hits the mind. Great, 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 great. So, you know, as we talk about process, I want to revisit the technology piece, which is we talked about this accelerating technology and Mm -hmm. almost everybody I've spoken to is having trouble keeping up, right? Like you can't get a new CRM every year, right? Like you just can't. So help us think through at what point it is it is important to start reevaluating technology. At what point do you, as you said, just gorilla it out with what you have? Help us put that some of that in context for, for selling and sales. Good question. Difficult answer. We're back to who are we and who is our customer? If I'm selling in Silicon Valley, I need to have the latest and the greatest, and I need to be able to dazzle people. So that's why I send the tablet. If I'm selling to farmers in Wisconsin, they're not dazzled by that at all. Then I have to look at my sales team. I have a client who asked me to come back and train their salespeople a second time because their salespeople were going to leave with technology they didn't want to use. They believe in the bag of donuts. They would leave this sales conference with an iPad. On this iPad is a proprietary software they developed that will reduce a portion of their sales cycle, back to speed now, from three weeks to three minutes. Mm. From three weeks to three 40% of their business is in disaster recovery. Wow. So your plant has experienced an incident. You've lost 20% of your production capacity. Two vendors come in and make their pitch. One can have you up and running three weeks earlier than the other one. Which one are you going to go with? That one? What about the price? Irrelevant. See? That's how important price is. And yet, salespeople are constantly saying, give me a lower price and I can sell. Well, of course you can. It's the easiest way. Give it away and you can give away all of them. So these people have... So the next morning, I stood up in front of these folks... This is what, in my business, we call a mature sales team. Okay, I'll be more explicit. I had the darkest hair in the room, and my hair is silver. <laughs> the night before at dinner, one of the men referred one of the men referred to me as Sonny. Got the picture? One of them came up and said, I heard you speak last time, went and got me one of them smartphones. And he flipped it open. <laughs> uh, okay, we're on the path here. You know, we're moving in the right direction. So it depends on who you're sellers are, who your salespeople are, and then who your buyers are. If your salespeople cannot make the transition, is there enough critical mass, enough significant market where you keep them on board until they decide they want to move on to something else, retire, find another job? There are some people who just don't want to get into the technology. Mm. I believe computers are evil. They're possessed by the devil. Otherwise, I wouldn't get this blue screen once in a while. But I understand the value. I own two software companies for Pete's sake. I understand the value of technology. 
And I was one of those Soyini that used to jump to the latest technology. I want the latest and the greatest. I want the fastest and the bestest. And I realized in many cases, the transition cost in time and dollars was not justified by the outcome. I met a CEO last week. I said, are you satisfied with your laptop? He said, oh, I don't know. I just went down to the supply room. This one was laying there, so I got it. Hmm. Now, how technologically savvy is that CEO? How important is technology to him? He's very successful. Warren Buffett doesn't have an email address, or so they say. So you need to look at it. There is no one-size-fits-all. Great. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for an absolutely amazing interview. If people want to get in touch with you to hear more about what you've, they've heard from you today, how can they do that? ChuckReeves.com is the website. We spell Reeves, R-E-A-V-E-S. So ChuckReeves.com or Sales Suites. Notice there's four S's in there. Dot com. Chuck at ChuckReeves.com. 404-822-6171 is my mobile number. I rarely answer it because I'm typically too busy, as you know, or on an airplane. But would love to talk to anyone who has experienced any kind of experiencing any kind of difficulty in sales. This is where I get my content. This is where I get my information. Great. Thank you so much for a great show, Chuck. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com. 